Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Okay. Good morning. Go ahead and find your seat. We're going to get started. It's always good to hear people talk at the same time. That means good things are happening. Uh, Welcome. If you are a a guest or maybe you just haven't been attending uh, for very long, uh, my name is Drew, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm over the area of worship, and I just want to say thanks to the worship team this morning. (laughs) Killing it every week. Presence of God is here, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, It's a privilege to be able to uh, share with you today and to uh, continue in the series that we've been in for the month of February. It's called Design. It's about relationships. And uh, this comes from one of our core beliefs as a church. And I'm going to read that to you right now. We should have it up on the screens. Belief number 15. Uh, We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. And these two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and the nature of God. Rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. And we believe that that term marriage has only one meaning. The uniting of one natural born man and one natural born woman in a single exclusive union as delineated in scripture. And we believe that God intends sexual intimacy to occur only between a natural born man and natural born woman who are married to each other. And we believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And we believe that any form of sexual immorality, including adultery, fornication, homosexual behavior, bisexual conduct, and use of pornography is sinful and offensive to God. That's spicy stuff right there, right? That's a lot. That's pretty intense. Um, And so I want to, I'm, I'm kind of covering the last half the last third of that, um, and I had uh, many comments about how did I get the bottom of that whole thing. I got the short straw in that. Um, But I want to recap uh, a little bit over the last few weeks. I would encourage you, if you haven't been here, to actually go back and listen to the the messages. They they will give you, no pun intended, a a foundation on on what we're discussing uh, today. But I want to go a little bit further back. Uh, Pastor Noah uh, preached a a few weeks back about sanctification, and I just want to take a couple little uh, definitions from that because I think they were really good, and they set us in the right direction for this morning. Uh, Sanctification can be defined as this, the state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set something apart for a specific use. A human being is sanctified. When he or she lives according to God's will and his design and his purpose. And then Pastor Doug actually opened this series up on design. And and he talked about Jesus pointing back to God's original design for marriage. And that the fall and and all of the things that came with that have broken sex and they've broken marriage. And then Pastor Raul uh, went further into that idea, the purpose of marriage and a marriage between a man and a woman. And so that brings me to the text that we're going to um, kind of just anchor us here this morning. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read this. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your goodness in our lives, Lord, and we ask that you would um, soften our hearts. God, to hear what you would say through your word. Um, Lord, open our ears um, as we come to these uh, sometimes difficult texts, God, that you would help us to see it the way that you see it. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are talking about sex this morning. Okay, in case you missed that and, and all of that, um, that fun stuff. So let's just break the ice a little bit, okay, because it's a little uncomfortable. That's true. That's why it's so quiet in here right now. But the truth is that everyone in this room is here because of sex. And I don't, I don't mean because church is a sexy place. I'm saying you're here, you're in existence, right? Like you exist because somebody And if you're here with your parents, I apologize. I apologize. It's going to get really awkward. If you don't look at them for a while, it'll go away. Okay, just like pretend like it's not happening. My daughter is here too, so I'm... My parents came and my parents came and they did our marriage uh, retreat last year, if you all remember that, and I'm still healing from that. <clears throat> still need the Lord to do a work in my heart about some things that were said. So, I want to read this quote. Uh, this is from N.T. Wright, who is a, um, probably the foremost premier New Testament scholar that's alive today. And he says this. He says, to become a Christian, these guys are awesome. Look at that. They've, they've got it up there. To become a Christian is not to say no to the good world which God has made. It is, of course, to turn one's back on all the corruptions into which the world has fallen and into which each individual has fallen. And so as a church, we have to be able to talk about this type of thing. It's in the scripture, right? There's a whole book in the Bible that's very spicy, if you've read that. I'm talking about the Song of Solomon. It's so um, intense that people have tried to say that it's actually not about what it's really about. But I'm going to bring you a spoiler alert. It's definitely about that, okay? <clears throat> But sex is part of God's design, and it's a very good thing. But it's gone very, very wrong in our culture. Sex is a, it's a paradox in our culture. Um, because on one hand, sex has been really stripped of its intimacy and its spirituality. And it's become uh, like a fast food version of itself. And it's been turned into a show. And it's been turned into entertainment. And for many, it's not a big deal. Um, it's just an exchange between two people who have the same desire. There's apps for that, right? You don't even know, need to know real names or anything like that to hook up with somebody. And yet, culture also pushes that sex is where you get your identity and where you get your fulfillment in your life. And it's used to sell everything, and it's everywhere. And porn is rampant in our culture. You and I, anyone in this room with a phone, 
is just seconds away from being able to access literally anything that you want to look at. And it's a billion-dollar industry that, that pulls box office movie amounts of money in every single year, billions and billions of dollars. And to most people, it's not that big of a deal. But to God, it is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Sin has taken and has distorted something that's meant to be beautiful, that's meant to be creative, and, he turn, and it's been turned into something that is selfish, and it's a lifeless act that's devoid of relationship. And so there's, there's a few things before uh, we jump into this text that I want to talk about um, that I think it's extremely important that we ask ourselves whenever we approach the Bible, whenever we read Scripture. And that is, am I a follower of Jesus? Have I made that commitment? Have I made that choice to follow Jesus? Um, some, of in, some people in this room may not be. And that's totally fine. We're glad that you're here. But if you are, then the Bible is actually meant to shape our worldview. And it's authoritative to the life of the believer. And it shapes us, and we don't shape it. And it's very easy sometimes to, to want to make it say what I think it's saying, what I want it to say, like, ooh, that's really tough. Is there some way that we can get around this? But there's this huge theme that's throughout Scripture that's really easy to overlook. And that is this. God is looking for a covenant people to bless the whole earth through. And the language is the language of marriage and vows. Um, and he initiates that with Israel. And he brings them out of Egypt. Maybe you've, you've gone to church and so you've heard those stories before. And from the very start, Israel does not want the true God. And sometimes we look at the story of the golden calf. Again, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. And we think like, oh, they worshipped a, a false god. And um, the golden calf isn't a completely different God. Sometimes we miss that. It's a version of God that they can control and that they can understand. Because they did not want the God who was in the storm over the mountain. They wanted a God that was easy to control, that they understood. A nice golden calf. And so I have to ask myself, and I think as a Christian, we should be asking ourselves these questions. And that is, am I following Jesus, or am I following a Jesus that's a version of my own making? We can't talk about sex, we can't talk about sexual immorality without talking about marriage, and so some of this is going to be a little bit of a recap, um, because these things from a biblical point of view are interconnected and they actually cannot be separated. Marriage is a covenant, and sometimes we're, maybe we don't use that word uh, a whole lot aside from in a church setting. Um, but a covenant, if, if I can just make a really basic observation, a, a covenant is a relationship of commitment that is sealed with a promise. And that's just one way to say it. There's probably some more eloquent ways. But a relationship of commitment that is sealed with a promise. And the parameters, we see that in Genesis chapter 2. Um, if you were here for the last couple weeks, I, I believe both Pastor Doug and Pastor Raul um, referenced Genesis 2 and were teaching from Genesis 2. But a man and a woman make a covenant to become one. But with all the covenant that we see in Scripture, there's also a sign that goes with that covenant, right? So Noah's covenant, it came with the rainbow. Abraham's covenant, the, the sign was circumcision. I think I like the rainbow better. 
in the New Testament, right, like we have stuff like communion and we have baptism. And so sex within marriage is that sign. Because biblically speaking, sex actually seals that covenant between two people. And there are actually quite a few different examples uh, in the Old, Old Testament, especially about sex being the thing that makes you married. That's a really different, weird thing for us to kind of comprehend as modern readers. But if you remember the story of, of Jacob and Rachel and Laban, Laban, the father-in-law, he tricks Jacob into sleeping with Leah. And he's like, oh, you're married. So you're going to have to hang around a little bit longer. It sealed the covenant relationship between those two people. And that's just one example. But sex inside marriage is sacramental. It's like communion. When, you, when, when married people have sex, we, you, are revisiting the promise that you made when you became one with that person. I won't forget this vow that I've made to you to become one with you. That's a pickup line that you can use later down the road. Okay. I feel like I needed to be really explicit with that one. Just like, that was free. Okay, that was free. <clears throat> Girls love that type of language, right? <clears throat> uh, but so sex, <laughs> sorry. Sex within marriage is way more dynamic than we think, right? And equally important to all of this stuff, right, is, is that we are actually called to be image bearers of God. And he created us, and in turn, we actually create more image bearers. And God told us to be fruitful and multiply, if you remember. And so I think all these things are really key in, in understanding the passage that we're about to get into. Um, no sex act outside of marriage between a man and a woman is acceptable to God. And so here's a little bit of a, a background on Corinthians, right? Because I always think it's a good, good idea to know exactly what's going on here because uh, it's, it's a letter that's written to a church, a specific church at a specific time. A church that was doing some really shady stuff, like rough, rough things. Which is why it's always a little bit funny to me when I, when I hear um, people talk about church being full of hypocrites and, and whatever, and, and I'm kind of like, yeah, but it's kind of always been like that, man, you know? Have you read any of the New Testament? There's some wild people doing some wild things. Um, Corinth was Sin City of the ancient world. It was Vegas of the ancient world. And uh, there's a lot of writings about Corinth and this idea surrounding it being like, hey, if you've got the money, head down to Corinth, and you can buy anything, you can see anything, and you can do anything. That is the place for that type of thing. The, the phrase Corinthianize, don't Google that, was a phrase used to describe like really nasty stuff. Okay, so we'll just leave that there. That was the reputation of this city. And the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter lived in that city for about 18 months. And I, I want to come back to our text and I want to read this again. 1 Corinthians 9 through 11. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. It's a long list. Will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's using the language of baptism at the end. That's what they would say as they baptize people. 
And so the tone of Paul's message is as a very concerned father to children. Um, there's a lot of, uh, as we even saw this, but there's a lot of like rhetorical questions. And, and the implication is that he's speaking to them as a father to a child. Do you not know? Do you not know that if you put your hand on that burner, it's going to get burned? And that's, and that's what he's trying to convey. You know, so a, a concerned father or, you know, and, and maybe a really concerned like high school dance chaperone, right? Who's just like, please stop touching each other. Like, don't do that. In that corner over there, stop. <laughs> and so we pick up on that uh, the more that we read that he is very concerned about the, the things that are happening in this church body. Those who aren't walking in right relationship with the Father won't receive the kingdom, and that's the message that he's trying to convey. And they understood inheritance, right, because the tone is as a father to children. They knew what that meant. And then it wasn't something that was like this far off away thing, but that it could be actually experienced in the present right here, right now, right? What did Jesus preach during his ministry? The kingdom of heaven was at hand, that it's available, that it's right here, right now. And the kingdom of God, if we can just kind of simply define a couple of things here. Yes. She bleeped out what I was going to say. I thank you for that. Appreciate that. The divine rule or reign of God and the sphere of blessing in which that reign is experienced. Right? You will not experience the kingdom of God if you live your life the opposite way, right? That's what he's trying to, to convey to this church. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We see that in Romans. The divine space where God rules and reigns and where we experience that reign. This is the inheritance of the believer. And it's not just some faraway thing. It's actually a present availability right here and right now. And in contrast to that sin, is an active force in the world, if you haven't guessed or if you're not aware of that. But in Genesis, God tells Cain that sin is crouching at his door, right? And it doesn't mean that he's, he's sitting in a chair next to his door, like, relaxing, right? It actually is, is, it's talking about, like, a predatory animal. This thing, sin is like a lion at your door, and it's, it's ready to strike, it's ready to take you down. It's ready to lead you to destruction. And those who participate in these vices, this list of things that, that Paul lays out, super interesting because it's more of like, etc. You could say etc. Like this isn't the only thing that we could put in this list. There's more. And those who participate, though, are led away from the kingdom. These are antithetical to the kingdom, and they are not compatible for those that follow Jesus. And then he goes further in to talk about deception, right? Like, we're, we're only just a couple phrases in, deception. And deception is really, really subtle. That's kind of the point, right? You don't know that you're being deceived until later on. Until it's too late, usually. And it's one of the enemy's greatest tactics, and it's just enough truth to make it seem reasonable. You know, Eve in the garden... Jesus in the wilderness, the devil likes to twist God's own words. He likes to deceive actually through scripture sometimes. And the same message of warning that Paul brings to the church 2,000 years ago 
is the same warning that we need to hear today, believe it or not. And that is this. There is a standard of righteousness that every believer is called to live by. Don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived by bad theology, whatever you've seen on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. At the heart of many of these issues that, that we're highlighting this morning is just lust, right? Sexual desire and a lack of self-control. This list we see in Corinthians is counter to the fruit of the spirit that all believers are supposed to be growing in. In Galatians, right? Is this familiar to you? Let's read this, Galatians 5, 22, 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is, there is no law. And Paul pretty much covers everything here when it comes to sexuality, right? Sexual immorality, adultery, and same-sex acts. And the Greek word pernia that we see as sexual immorality, uh, Pastor Raul referenced this last week as he was talking through it, uh, is an all-encompassing word for everything that's outside of marriage. And it's actually pretty simple, and that's the truth. It's pretty simple, but we actually like to complicate things. We like to become, it's, it's easy to become Pharisees, and it's easy to, to find gray areas that we can kind of get around certain, certain ideas in Scripture. And I know that this is a really hot topic to get into, right? Um, but I do want to address this issue. You know, Paul uses words here that harken back to Levitical law. Um, when he addresses same-sex behavior, that it is prohibited. And there's this idea that Paul didn't know about consensual relationships in his time and, or that he was talking about exploitive sex or, or something like that. But the truth is, is that both of those are unfounded, very, very untrue. There's historical records of same-sex unions that were consensual in both the Greek and the Roman empires. Paul is a master architect when it comes to the language and the words that he uses to drive his points home. And that's why he references Leviticus. Ancient Near Eastern sexual ethic was the same during the second temple time, right, of Judaism. That's when Jesus and the disciples were on the earth preaching and teaching. And that, that is the same sexual ethic as Christianity has held for 2,000 years. They are the same and it has not changed. Now, I say all that to also say we would love to have a conversation with you. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction or anything like that, we want to be conversational in our approach to that. Is that okay? I want to reiterate at the same time that all sexual sin is offensive to God. Right? It's not just the sin that you don't like. It's not just the sin that you are not comfortable with. It's all sexual sin. Let's be careful with that one because the truth is is that there is an elephant in the room, okay? Which I mentioned earlier, but pornography just isn't rampant in the world. It is rampant in the church too, okay? It's rampant among Christians as well, and, and I don't need to hit you with statistics um, about the numbers. It is clear. I don't need to hit you with science about how bad porn is for you. 
okay? It's pretty clear from this text as well, but it will destroy your relationships and uh, along with all sorts of other things, and it is not okay. And it is equally offensive to God. Don't take it casually. Don't take it lightly. It is a big deal. That's not meant to condemn at all. So don't feel condemned. But I think we need to have a realignment of our perspective on certain things. Jesus had very strong words about these types of issues, right? Lust and temptation. And he usually quotes the law, and then he actually takes it a step further. And he likes to shock people, and he likes to really, you know, for lack of a better term, but he likes to throat punch people, okay? (laughs) You probably didn't think you were going to hear that in church today, but we're talking about sex, so we may as well just, you know, well, let's just go for it. This is in Matthew five twenty-seven through 30. And it says, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body would go into hell. And that's pretty intense. The, the implication there is that it all starts in our hearts. When we, we lust after someone who you are not married to, we actually degrade them. This is men and women, right? You, you degrade that person. We dehumanize them from the image bearers that God created out of his own goodness into something that's meant purely for your own selfish enjoyment. Jesus is taking this pretty seriously, right? Find the problem, tear it out, cut it off, throw it away. That's kind of intense. In the Hebrew scriptures, the eye is how we perceive the world. It's symbolic of that. The hand is how we act in the world and how we participate in the world. This is a huge deal. It is better for you to be militant about this type of behavior than allow for it to run its course in your life because it will lead you to destruction. It will destroy you and it will destroy your family and your relationships. And then later on in, in, are you guys okay? I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, take a breath. Take a breath. Everybody relax a little bit, okay? It's not going to get better, but at least you can. <clears throat> this is later on in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 19, so just one verse over, and then there's a lot here, and I'm going to try to read quickly. Um, this is Paul still, and he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Right? And then here's some more father to a child language. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? 
for as it is written, the two will become one flesh, right? And we talked about that earlier. And then in, in 17, he continues and he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, there's a lot there, but I want to stay kind of focused on our subject matter that we're talking about. But for those of us that have said yes to Jesus, right, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you've been baptized, and you, you took communion here this morning, right? You are joined to the Lord. We are joined to the Lord. And Paul asserts this idea that we have a little bit of a, a difficulty sometimes wrapping our our minds around as modern Christians, as modern readers. Um, but it, it's not an individualistic thing, right? As an American, we're so individualistic about every, everything, even how we read the scripture. And that wasn't, and well, that's not the case, and it wasn't the case from Paul's perspective, right? We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are one in a really mysterious way, right? In, in a really sacred way and in a dynamic way, like, we experienced in communion, and we also experienced uh, in, in baptism. And, uh, and I guess what I, the, the idea here is this, is that it's not just a cup with juice and bread, right? And it's not just someone going under the water and coming back up under the water. That's what it looks like to us sometimes. But really what's happening is the Lord is showing up in the midst of that intentionality in a very special way, in a way that's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. And in that same way, church, the body of Christ, believers are connected in a way that's kind of hard to wrap our heads around sometimes. And what he's getting at is that what we do and how we behave somehow affects that in a way that's a little intangible. Right for like a, a Western uh, Western thinker. That's not what our bodies are for. Therefore, the Lord to glorify Him in how we approach sexuality. And in the greater context, as well, just how we relate to one another. Right in speech, in your words about other believers, in all of our relationships. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So walk in the righteousness that the Lord would have you. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up right here. I have a, oh, my lovely wife. Oh, let's go. Okay. <clears throat> now we're really going to get started here. <clears throat> I had to. I mean, I apologize, but you have to, right? Flee sexual immorality, right? Run away, run away. Jesus says to cut things off. Paul says run away. Okay, which one sounds better to you? Do you not know that this isn't the way of the kingdom? And so I, I want to end with, with a little bit of a, a charge to us as a, as a people. To the married couples in this room, 
present your bodies as living sacrifices together to the Lord. You belong to him, but you also belong to each other. Your goal is oneness in everything that you do. And to those who are, who are unmarried and they want to be, remain pure and wait for marriage. Wait for that person that you have chosen to make an unbreakable covenant with until the day that you die, right? And to the single person who doesn't know if they actually even want to get married, they're not interested, devote yourself to the Lord in all that you do. There's a rich history in Christianity of men and women who have completely devoted their entire life. They've forsaken marriage to follow and pursue Jesus. And for the the, the same-sex attracted person who finds themselves wanting to follow Jesus, who has that desire to follow Jesus, there is a life that is rich and full of God's goodness for you. And everyone has a cross to take up and to bear. And everyone has something to lay down. But the Lord is with you. And in the places that you feel weak and that you feel uncertain, he will show up in the middle of that with life-sustaining grace for your life. See, God's design and his ways in all our relationships, whether we're married or whether we're single, whether celibate, they are better than our ways. And we choose to walk in them. We actually then truly step in to what it means to be human, to be fully human, and to bear the image of the one who made us. Amen. You stand your feet. We never want to close a service without an opportunity for ministry. And if, if you need uh, to talk with someone, you want to have a conversation with someone about Jesus or how to start that journey or maybe even some things that you're wrestling in with your life right now, we're going to have people back there at that cross. Um, I also want to remind us, too, that I forgot to do this first service, so I'm now just remembering. Um, do we have the slide for the numbers? We're, we're going to do a Q&A next week. Uh, and there's a number in the bulletin, if you can grab the, the bulletin. We're going to just have some conversations and around some questions that we would like to hear from you about this series. Okay? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your ways are, are higher than our ways. God, your thoughts, they're just different. Lord, there's things that we don't understand, Lord, but we trust you and we lean to you. God, and not in the understanding that we might have about relationships or life or or any of those things. Lord, we ask that you would just by the Holy Spirit teach us to walk with you in greater ways. Lord, more humility. Lord, in holiness. Lord, to really pursue your kingdom. And that you would make us a people that's after your own heart, Lord, in everything. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, okay?
Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org.